Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Hi, everyone. On today's podcast, we are very excited to be hosting one of our members, Kaylani Bartley, who is a case manager at CABS, which is the Chicago Autism and Behavior Specialist. So welcome. Welcome, Kaylani. I'm excited to be here, guys. We are excited to have you. As I was saying before, one of the things we love about doing the podcast is to get to talk to, you know, regular people who are practicing in the field and learn more about how they got here, kind of what their challenges are, what they love about it. Um, So why don't we start with telling us a little bit about how you got into this field? Yeah, so it was pretty much on accident. Um, I wanted to be um, a music therapist and then I had... Was I was just looking for summer jobs in college to work with people diagnosed with autism. I found a tech job. Um, I worked there for about a year. And then when I graduated, I was like, well, I really like working in ABA. And I switched my whole career path. And I just graduated with my master's. Congratulations. Wow. Congratulations. So your goals are BCBA. Yes. <laughs> Good well, luck. Thank you. I'm hoping to test in August. That's the goal. That's awesome. Wow. So um, tell us a little bit about what you do now. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm a case manager. And so basically, I do all of the things a BCBA would do, except under the supervision of a BCBA. So I have to make sure things get approved through um, my supervisor to make sure everything's like ethical and effective and um, just to like keep things on top of it. But uh, it's, it's essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like in the heart of this like supervision pre BCBA world, and I know we get a lot of a lot of questions about supervision. I know in the field it's become a bit of a challenge to really find good quality supervision. People are really scrambling. What do you feel like has been, um, you know, one of the challenges that you've had to overcome with getting quality supervision, or how, do you feel like you've gotten quality supervision? Um. So. <laughs> This is actually the third company I've worked for. Um, I've kind of been hopping around so that I could get the highest quality supervision um, as possible. And um, one night I emailed Steve Ward, who wrote the inventory of the good learner repertoires with Terry Grimes. 
He's amazing. Yeah. I emailed him and I was like, I have no idea what to do. Like the company I'm working for right now is all right. Um, but they mainly use DTT and I'm learning, I'm looking to like expand. And I like had known about, um, the Igler from previous, um, supervisory experiences that I I had just moved. I couldn't work there anymore because I didn't live there. Um, and he's like, Oh, well, I have some great associates at cabs and I was like, awesome. So I applied and um, now I'm working there and it's been really fantastic to really get such a broad spectrum of um, different, um, different ideas, different um, ways to approach learning and behavior. So, wow. Good for you. So would you recommend other people who are looking for supervision to kind of do the same thing, like reach out, advocate? Absolutely. That's, that's what worked for me. Um, and a lot of people, like I was surprised so many people replied to me. Um, I got on LinkedIn and I messaged people who like specialized in OBM. I um, messaged people who specialized in precision teaching and I just talked to them and I was like, Hey, what are some resources? Um, I'm looking for supervision. Um, Is there any like suggestions that you have? So even if you don't end up getting supervision with them, it's a really great resource and it's just the connection to have because who knows what, like, what knowledge you might need later, you know? Mm-hmm. Good for you for taking that initiative too. I remember, you know, when I was younger, I was so nervous to, you know, press that send button. I would go as far as compose an email. Okay. Do I press the send button? Do I press the send button? Do I press the send button? And obviously I did. That's what got me to where I am now. But, you know, we were talking yesterday, I did a webinar yesterday and we were talking a little bit about individualization and how every single person is really, everyone's just an individual, right? It's just we're all people, we're all approachable or hopefully approachable. And, uh, you know, not to be nervous of, you know, people who like Stephen Ward, oh my gosh, he's like a big wig. Wow. You know, press that send button. So Mm -hmm. any of you guys who are listening, you know, just do it. Just do it. And the other thing I always say about supervision is it is what you make of it. Like so many people come into supervision feeling like, what are you going to do for me? You know, you're the BCBA, you're the supervisor. Now train me and I'm going to sit back and just you know, kind of absorb it. But what I say to everyone who either I supervise or comes to ask about supervision is it is what you make of it. You need to go out and you need to find those resources. You need to advocate. Even if you have an amazing supervisor, unfortunately, it's not always on our head. You know, we have other things going on to remember to like, you know, tell you to look into this study or to look into this article. And you have to look for those resources and ask for them and also ask, how can I help you? Um, As a supervisee, you have to put yourself in a position to say like, I want to learn. So what can I do to help you? It's not just a one-way street. And I think that that's something that the new supervisees coming into the field should really pay attention to because it will be so much more successful. Absolutely. And a great supervisor will be thrilled that you want to help and also be thrilled that you have your own ideas. And because one thing I really like about my supervision, it's very bi-directional. I have my ideas and they're respected and she has her ideas and they're respected. And we come together and we're really there to look out for our learner and figure out and collaborate to do what's best for our learner. And it's been fantastic. So what have you learned the most about in supervision? What was your most valuable lesson? Yeah. So there's been so much. Um, I think that when I learned a lot about DTT, um, I have gone, I've tons of training in DTT. Um, but the most important thing is like about generalization, um, and what stifles it and then what advances it. Um, and it's been very interesting. And I found that one of the best ways is playing games to, and that's, that helps with generalization so much. I just, I, 
Um, I take old programs that I wrote for DTT style um, and I turn it into a scavenger hunt or I turn it into a board game. Um, a lot of my like motor, like, like listener responding, like we can do that all in a game and the kids love it and the kids can direct it. They can be in charge and they love being in charge. They love being like, okay, Simon says, put up your arms. And then I put up my arms or they say, Simon says, touch your nose. And then I touch my ears and they're like, wait a second. And it's a blast for them. They, they enjoy it. That's wonderful. I used to work with a speech pathologist and I've learned so many things from speech pathologists over the years. And one of the speech pathologists um, in particular said, you know, I love going into a toy store. And she goes, you know, I pull board games off the shelf and I open them up and I play with them right there in the aisle. And I just start laughing and it says, says right on the box, you don't need to purchase to play with it. <laughs> what? anyways she'll go and she'll think of games and she says the very first thing I do is throw away the instructions and then I start thinking about all of the things that I can do with these games and I thought that was such great advice yeah I think one of the things that we could do better as a field is definitely the creativity I think we get so stuck to the you know we have to be technological and we have to be systematic and all of those things that are required but we can also be really creative and fun and i what? feel we can be fun <laughs> really i'm not sure it's not one of the dimensions but it should be um but yeah like so much more learning happens and i feel like as a field we really should move away a little bit from you know the table work and the dtt and incorporate more of that natural learning and generalization because it's so important Absolutely. And I think DTT like definitely has its place. Um, I use it for kids who I'm prepping to get ready for school. I've got a lot of kiddos who like, all right, like we have to get their, like, maybe they've got some aggression or some property destruction. We're going to help them like find those replacement behaviors. And then we're going to get in there and we're going to prep them from school because odds are it's not, it's not their intelligence holding back. It's their behaviors and they would benefit greatly from going to school. And so we need to make sure that they can sit independently and work for like, probably like 20-ish minutes, depending on their age. Absolutely. I use discrete trial a lot. Um, and But what I find needs to happen is that balance, right? So I won't use discrete trial with a 14-month-old. It's not natural. It's not, you know, but like you said, that school-age kid who either you're getting ready for school or, you know, is in school and needs to sit for a little bit longer. Um, but it has to be that mix. So great. Whatever you're learning at the table or on the floor, you can do discrete trial on the floor as well. But whatever you're learning in that discrete trial format, you know, you does need to be generalized away from flat cards away from worksheets because you know natural language doesn't doesn't happen or flashcards don't happen in the natural environment right and i think one of the misconceptions is discrete trial doesn't necessarily mean it has to be boring at a table with a binder it just really means mass trialing and i think there's such a benefit to mass trialing but you can mass trial in so many different formats like you could sit down and be playing simon says mm -hmm. and that's discrete trial like you're going trial after trial um so i think we can still be creative and think outside the box as to what what that looks like absolutely and actually um i made up a game recently for one of my clients she was learning how to discriminate um between who and where and so she would pick 10 toys and then i would go give them to people or i would go hide them in places and then we'd make a list of the toys she loved it was so cute she loved it um and then she would say okay i want my like Peppa Pig toy. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, I gave your Peppa Pig toy to someone. And the goal is for her to either ask like, who is, who has it or where is it? And so um, we started off with like a bunch of different visuals to help her out. And then we faded those out. 
Um, and then we could like, we were even able to take the game further and be able to teach her how to like get people's attention, repair behaviors. If like she didn't get their attention, um, and do all of these super fun, creative things. And we were able to do it in this mash trial fashion that really helped her quickly identify and learn exactly what she needs to do to help her gain that reinforcement, to help her, you know, get her toy, talk to her friends, things like that. And it was, it was phenomenal to see her just like thrive. I love that. That reminds me, I did a program very similar to that, except I was working in a child's basement. So we had no one around. So we literally posted pictures of people on the wall. So we had her family members of pictures on the wall and I would hide little objects behind the pictures <laughs> and say, someone has it. <laughs> She'd go up to a picture and say, mommy. <laughs> um, and then we transferred that to a tea party because I just thought a tea party with her stuffies was a lot more natural than going up to pictures on the wall. I love that. Yeah. There are just so many fun games that you can play like hotter and colder. That's a really fun game. Um, like there's use games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Endless. Yeah. And I love that creativity. So, um, hopefully you're going to, you know, pass your exam and be successful over the next few months. And then what, like, what, what would you like to do in the field? What are your goals? I have so many. Um, I would love to collaborate with speech pathologists more. Um, I think they have great insight and OTs. I think that um, something that our field struggles with is kind of like staying in our lane and in our specialty. Um, and really like, like a speech, I have plenty of friends that are speech pathologists and they have amazing input. Um, I say, oh, I have a client who's like struggling with articulation. Like what resources do you have? And, you know, I change, it's not hard to make something behavioral and technological because everything is behavior. Right. Uh, and so I go in and I heed their advice and um, it helps clients thrive. And so um, I would love to like do that. I'd love to just spread the, the knowledge that I've gained and help plant little seeds and um, text as they like grow and learn and um, help out our families. Absolutely. I work with a lot of speech pathologists, like I said earlier, I work with a few, but I work with a lot um, who give me a lot of really great ideas. And that's what I love about it. You know, I, t I get the data collection piece in there and I probably get the mass trialing a little bit more than they do. Um, but I work on teams where a speech pathologist will consult once a month. And then as the behavior team, we take it on a daily basis and run away with it. And, you know, the two of us, or I mean, the teams working together, what a huge difference it makes. And the speech pathologist, pathologists will come in a month later and go, wow, this is incredible. And the behavior therapists on our team are, are, are amazed because they're learning all about the speech aspects of it as well. And the language development from, you know, a developmental standpoint, not just the ABLES or the VB map, right? And it's really nice. Absolutely. Yeah. There are a lot of great resources out there that um, aren't in our field. I forget what it's called. Someone um, there was, a, there's a BCBA who collaborated with an SLP and made this amazing assessment um, that focuses on reading and it goes like, so there's phonics and then below phonics, there's, um, another level of like sounds. It's even a smaller level. Um, I think it's called mono. It starts with an M. Don't remember what it's called. Look it up. Um, <laughs> I'm going to Google it. <laughs> yeah. But it's very interesting. And so they like dive in and they're like, yeah, here's how you can like teach all of these things, like focusing around these things. And we're using, um, a behavior analytic approach with consultation of an SLP. So it's really like developmentally appropriate and it's right there. And so it's, it's fantastic. 
I wish I could remember what it's called. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's awesome. There's so many great resources that we could benefit from. And like you said, just make them more behavioral because we can, we can put our twists on any of those things, but we could, we should be more open to, to taking their, their input and stuff. Um, we often get a lot of our community, a lot of our members in our audience are kind of the newly minted, you know, BCBA type, similar to you, who hopefully will be one day newly minted. Um, what advice either that you've received was the best advice you've gotten, or what advice would you give to our audience um, as that as they're just kind of embarking on the field? I got a couple of things. I think one, remembering you're working with kids and kids need compassion as much as they need consistency. Um if you're working, I mean, everyone needs compassion. So it like does not just apply to everyone. Everyone needs compassion. And then from there on out, like never stop researching, never stop looking at that data, never stop looking at like what, what's new, like what, what new types of uh, ways to teach this can I take? What different approaches are there? And like, don't ever settle. Always. That's, that's what science is. We don't settle. We keep finding, we keep looking, um, to really help our learners to the best of our abilities. And that's kind of what's helped me find success so far. Um, I don't settle. That's why I've worked at so many different companies. That's why I've, um, so I own a ridiculous amount of ABA books, despite my time <laughs> in the field. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so true. I think that like, when, when I got into the field, it was very different. Um, and I think I, you know, I had my ideas of what it meant. Like you said, consistency. I was like, well, parents have to follow through and we have to like, you know, be firm. And, you know, I mean, I've had my own children and I've learned that that's not always the case. And I think over time, I've definitely evolved into understanding how much more important it is to be compassionate. Um, It's not just about the behavioral principles and the techniques. It's really about um, the connection. And that's not a behavioral term, but it really is. And you get so much further with the kids if they relate to you. Um, And I see it now working with a student who's doing Hanley's PFA and SBT. And I watched just like a little bit of it. And while I was watching for the, you know, the technical parts of it, like, you know, the mans and the cabs and were they doing everything properly? The thing that stood out to me was through this process, this child trusted this therapist. And I was like, this is why it's successful. And I was watching and I was like, that's the part that I think is successful about this. And it wasn't about the, you know, doing it right and the data, um, and, and that, and that's really the case. And I think we do so much better with, with our behavioral principles, if we bring along that piece of it. Absolutely. And remembering like where a client may be struggling, like they, like I had a client one day forget something and it like, it was part of like her routine and she forgot it and there was nothing we could do about it. And she was just in tears about it. And so I was like, girlfriend, you can ask for a hug, like, let bring it in. Let, let's have a hug. And so she <laughs> Yeah, she sat there and she, it broke my heart. She was so upset about her water bottle and I get it. There was nothing anyone could do about it, but like literally just through this hug, she was able to be like, okay, these people, they're here for me and we're going to figure it out. And so then we, we were, we got her a new water bottle. It wasn't the one she wanted, but we got her one that she could drink from and, and she was able to kind of self-regulate a little bit. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned that you kind of hoard, you know, ABA resources and stuff and books that you learn from. What's your favorite? Oh, uh, prob- honestly, the inventory of the good learners repertoire. <laughs> um, I'm a little biased since I work. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little biased since um, I'm on a team with him. But um, to be fair, I learned about it before I was on a team with him. Can we uh, just sit back for a second? 
you're on a team with Stephen Ward. Yes. <laughs> you're on a team with Stephen Ward. That's amazing. Yes. Oh, it's incredible. He's, that's why I took this position. He's like, I work here too. And I'm like, awesome. Oh my gosh. I'm fangirling. He friended me. on. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Stephen Ward friended me on Facebook. <laughs> right. But it all started because you pressed send. Yes. You went right? for it. I did press send. I remember one of my friends was like, Hey, Lonnie, you're crazy. What are you doing? Emailing these people. He doesn't even know who you are. And I was oh, like, what? If they don't want to, like, they, what's the worst that can happen? They don't respond. But yeah. And I'm like, he put his email out there publicly. So I'm going to email him. <laughs> and yeah. he's such a great guy. He's so like, he's so down to earth. He's so like compassionate, understanding with our kids. And he's got tons of expertise like him and um, Teresa Grimes is his partner. And like, she like, like really dives into like reading and that kind of thing. And um, he's really into like the games and the being goofy. And like, it's such a great, like, like partnership that they've like helped us like to consult with and, um, yeah, it's, he's great. He's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, we, forget, we forget sometimes how small our field is that like, it seems huge to us that these people are like, you know, the, the names in the field, mm-hmm. but like our field is also so small. So like, yeah. you know, we should, we should reach out more. Yeah, it is crazy. I remember I interviewed at a company once, um, it was at precision ABA in Naperville, Illinois. And I was interviewing with the president of Illinois ABA. And I was like, excuse me, like, what? This is crazy. Yeah. We're all just, you know, regular yeah, people at the end of the day. I guess so, man. Like people are writing books out here and I'm like, oh, so you're a human too? This is strange. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Surprise. <laughs> so send that email. Always send it. That's a great lesson. Um, okay. Well, Kehlani, this was so nice. I'm so glad we got to meet. Uh, one of the reasons we love doing this is meeting people. And so we're so glad we got to meet you. Absolutely. I loved it. It was great. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you so much. It was great. And good luck. And hopefully you'll send us a note in August when you pass your exam and let us know that you were successful. Absolutely. I'll let you guys know. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Keep in touch. Thanks guys. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.